0: Well good morning everybody. Uh, We have been looking together at the prayer that Jesus taught the church and uh, we have been doing that uh, in order to nurture the habit of prayer in our lives if it's already there uh, or in order to foster the habit of prayer in our lives if it's not there yet. Prayer is uh, essential to the Christian life because it's one of the places where God has promised to meet people like us and to share his life with us for our good. In the language of the church, it is one of the means of grace. And we, we learn to pray um, by being around folks who pray <laughs> and by praying. So looking at the Lord's uh, prayer together, looking at this prayer that Jesus taught us is a way for him to, to be around, for us to be around him as he prays it. It's a way for us to listen to him as he prays it, to think about what he means as he prays it. So this morning, we come to the first uh, ask of the prayer, the first petition of it. It is that God's name would be hallowed. So we're going to read from Psalm 115, which begins with uh, exactly that idea. So I'll read Psalm 115 for us. When we talk about it, we'll kind of hover around the front end, um, but I'll read the whole psalm for us. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your your steadfast love and faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, they have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. This is God's word, and it is given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that as we uh, think about and talk about this word, this song, really, that we have just read together, that you would help us to learn what it means to hallow your name, to learn what it means to give you praise, to learn what it means to trust. We need your spirit uh, to help us to do this, and so we ask that you would let your spirit help us. And we pray this in the name that is above all names. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when she was uh, 20 years old, Flannery O'Connor was uh, a writing student in Iowa. She had not yet uh, become the great Southern Gothic writer that we know her to be. But of course, as a student of writing, she was writing a lot. And one of the things that she wrote uh, was a prayer journal. Now, I doubt she ever uh, intended. I doubt she ever even dreamed that anyone would ever see uh, these prayers that she had written to God. Um, But in the early 2010s, her biographer, her former colleague, William Sessions, came across her journal. It spanned almost two years, Uh, and in 2013, that journal was was published. Uh, O'Connor's prayers are are really honest, and they're very searching, (laughs) and sometimes they're really funny, and none of that, of course, would be surprising if you're familiar at all with her writing. And I want to read an excerpt from you. Uh, for you, and this excerpt comes from early in Flannery O'Connell's prayer journal. Okay, this is her prayer. There is a whole sensible world around me that I should be able to turn to your praise, but I cannot do it. Prayer should be composed, I understand, of adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication. It is the adoration of you, dear God, that most dismays me. I cannot comprehend the exaltation that must be due you. Intellectually, I assent, let us adore God. And for this, when it is practically impossible for us to get it ourselves, we are dependent on you. We are dependent on you for our adoration of you Adoration, that is in the fullest sense of the term. Give me the grace, dear God, to adore you. For even in this, I cannot do it myself. Church, that that's what it sounds like to want God's name to be hallowed and to pray that it would be hallowed. Give me the grace, dear God, to adore you. To hallow something means simply to make it known. To be sure that it is acknowledged and honored. To hallow something means to set that thing apart so that that thing is recognized for what it is and so that that thing is magnified. We do not in our culture speak of hallowing anything. (laughs) So I want to say that again because it's maybe foreign to us. To hallow something is to make it known and to make it acknowledged and to make it honored. It means to set that thing apart so that it is recognized for what it is and so that it is magnified. When Jesus uh, teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, he is first and foremost asking the Father to do that for himself, to hallow his own name in all the earth. But of course for people like you and me to pray that prayer and to mean it is for us to hallow God's name as well. And this, if we are being honest, this does not come easy if it ever comes at all. (laughs) Because untaught and untrained in prayer, you know our prayers usually begin and end with ourselves. We know that this is true. And this is why we need scripture. This is why we need Jesus himself to teach us to pray. We are, as O'Connor prayed, dependent on God for our adoration of God. And here's the thing, church. We need need Jesus. We need the scriptures to teach us how to hallow the name of the Father. Not just because if we don't, our prayers are myopically self-centered and out of shape. I mean, of course they are if we don't hallow God's name. But the bigger reason we need to learn how to hollow the name of the Father is because that is what we have been made for. That's what it means to be human. Every Christian tradition says that in one way or the other, and I mean all of them. They all say that in one way or another, that we've been made to know God, that we have been made to worship God, and that in doing that, in knowing and worshiping God, we come to know ourselves and we finally become the humans that we were meant to be. Our tradition often says that by asking a question and then answering that question, it's probably a question you've heard, some of you at least, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. (laughs) And we begin to learn what our ends are. We begin to learn who we are when we pray, hallowed be your name, and mean it. So the opening line of of Psalm 115, which we just read together, puts it like this, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. (laughs) Hallow your name, God, not ours. And I love the, the realism of that line. I, I love the honesty of that line because it's a built-in check. It's a built-in check to our uh, normal impulse, to want to sing songs about ourselves first, to want to sing about our own glories first. And I, and I want to hover on that for a minute. I want to talk a little bit about glory because this is a key, I think, to understanding this part of the Lord's Prayer. And frankly, all of prayer and frankly, <laughs> all of what it means to be human and to follow Jesus in this world because the truth is church we have been made we have been made for glory scripture teaches all of us all of us that we have been made every single one of us in here we have been made in the image of God right so God knows and he loves and that means that we are a people who want to know and who want to love Justice is foundational to who God is. A sense of justice is deep in who God is. And so we want justice. Even if we can't say exactly why or how we know what justice is, we want it. God creates and he builds. And so we create and we build. I mean, his image in us is why we are who we are. And something else that's true of God is that his very being has weight. His very being has weight. That is his glory. He is glorious and he is magnificent and he is awesome. And you see this in Scripture all over the place. Remember what Moses does when Moses finds out that he's near, not God really, but the presence of God. Just the trailing edge of the presence of God in that burning bush. He hides his face because he's afraid. And that's pretty much what always happens. People lose their minds, and they kind of fall apart in fear. Can you remember ever really seeing something great? You know what happens? Your breath catches, and you feel small. I think the first time that ever happened to me um, that I can remember was when I saw a whale breach like 100 feet away from where I was. I mean, church, it it was too everything (laughs) and for a minute I, I thought I don't know anything at all about who I am I don't know anything at all about this world it was beautiful and it was terrifying all at once for some of you maybe it's some music that you heard that make you made you feel that way or makes you feel that way or maybe some athletic feat that you've watched someone do some dance some piece of art or a vista in nature. I hope that it's been something at some point. And the church, the point is this. We were made for that. We were made for that feeling forever and ever and ever and ever. God has glory. And so we want glory too. And if we're human, that is just inescapably part of who we are, and it is inescapably good, church. It is very good. Psalm 8 says that he's made us a little lower than the angels, and he's crowned us with glory, and he's crowned us with honor. It is his glory, church, that he's crowned us with. It's his honor that he's crowned us with. He shared his glory with us for our good. But, you know, the fall of our, our first parents and our willing participation in that just about every day has messed that part of us up, right? Sometimes we, we don't want to share in God's glory. Sometimes we've, we would prefer to sing of our own glory first or sing of the glory of some lesser thing as if it was God. And sometimes, sometimes we act like there is no glory in being human at all. I think that's uh, something that explains a lot of the unbearable inhumanity of the culture that we live in. So we've been made for glory. We've been made for glory by God himself. We have been made to have a weight and an essence and a beauty that is like his. But we get it screwed up if we don't start with him. We get it screwed up if we do not remember that it is his glory that we share. He is the one who has crowned us with his glory. So Jesus teaches us right up front, (laughs) right at the very beginning, to say, hallowed be your name, Father. And the psalm writer says right at the beginning, right up front, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. And church, if you and I can get that right, if we can get that right first, we will grow into the humans that we were meant to be. I promise you that that's true. We will find out who we really are. And we will find out what we are here for. And church, this is one of the ways that people like us hallow God's name. We hallow God's name in adoration and in worship like we are doing right here together, right now. (laughs) What we do here together on Sundays is like a framework. It's like fuel for the worship and adoration that we do when we are apart, That moment at the beginning of our service, right after we're called into worship, where we have this moment where we just stop and we adore, that is a fuel for us. It teaches us <laughs> who we are to be and how we are to worship. And I encourage you to see it that way, to let our worship together on Sundays be like a fuel and a framework for how we hallow God's name every day. So the psalm writer gives this really specific reason um, for asking God to give his name glory. He says, do this for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. That is a, a pretty constant refrain in the psalms. It means that God is faithful to his promises. It means that God is faithful to his intentions for us no matter what. Even when we are unfaithful, even when it costs him everything he remains faithful to his own promise to love us and to redeem us and to change us by forming his life in us and to bring us safely home he is faithful to that no matter what and steadfast love and faithfulness find their fullest expression they find their fullest fulfillment in the cross and resurrection and ascension of jesus but of course god had a long history of doing things that anticipated that for his people all along. And that's, that's what the psalm writer, of course, is remembering here. One of the countless things that God had done for his people, one of the countless expressions of his love and faithfulness. So you can imagine, right, thinking about that kind of stuff, it would be right, it would be normal, it would be natural to sing a song like this when you're overwhelmed with gratitude. For example, after the uh, slave trade act, was passed in England in 1807, William Wilberforce, who had championed abolition in the English parliament for 27 years, he celebrated that passage by spending time meditating on these words from Psalm 115, not to us, not to us, (laughs) but to your name give glory. And you can imagine why he would have gone to those words. I mean, he had been a vanguard of that movement, and objectively, he's a great man. But even he knew that that kind of victory, one that seemed like it was unattainable, one that seemed like it would never come, he knew it was bigger than him. So it makes sense that he would celebrate by thanking God before he took even one bit of credit. But one of the beautiful things about Psalm 115, church, is that it doesn't appear to have been written in any kind of context like that. It doesn't seem like it was written in the context of any kind of victory. Just the opposite, in fact. It appears to have been written in the context of trouble. Verse 2 asks a question that points to this really painful taunt. Verse 2 says, Why should the nation say, Where is their God? <laughs> I mean, we don't know the context of that taunt, but whatever the context was, it, it wasn't because things were coming up roses for God's people, something bad had happened. And it's often in those moments right, where we feel like God hasn't shown up or we feel that he's shown up but he hasn't done exactly what we wanted him to do, that we want to sing our own songs, that we want to look for glory, that we want to look for help in other lesser things that could never hold up to that weight. You know? If God's not going to deliver, then I will... I will look to the things that can. If he's not going to come through right now, I will go to what I know will come through right now. And this, uh, this psalm heads that impulse off as quickly as it possibly can. Oh, you, you want to know where our God is? The psalm writer says he's in the heavens. And he does whatever he pleases. The psalm defiantly returns to exactly where it started, hallowing God's compassionate free sovereign untamed name and then in verses 4 through 8 the psalm writer paints this picture of what it looks like what it looks like to hollow things that are lesser than him and what it looks like in the end when we do that and I think maybe it would be helpful for us to think about you know the ways we do that (laughs) precisely when it seems like god isn't doing what we want him to do or he's not doing things on our timetable right are we are we suffering are we facing some trouble i mean we're smart people we know all kinds of shortcuts to feel happier for a minute drink too much eat too much go to some substance when we feel alone or when we feel lonely, we know we know there are quick ways to, to plaster over that, even if we know ahead of time that those are twisted parodies of the kind of intimacy and the kind of closeness that we've really been made for. When we feel out of control, like we can't get the pieces of life to fit together, and we just feel like we have nothing, no hand on any string anywhere, we know that anger that aggression towards the people around us, we know that that can make us feel a little bit of in control for a minute. When we feel that unbearable burden of thinking that it's all up to us, that we belong to ourselves, and that's that, we can plaster over that emptiness and try to forget it with the endless distractions of pop culture or by working way too much. We feel unhappy. We try to spend our way into happiness. (laughs) We all know how this works, if we're being honest, and so does the psalmist, which is why the psalm writer goes on to point out exactly what all of those things are really like. All of those fake little lesser gods have mouths, the song goes, and they don't speak. (laughs) They have eyes, but they don't see, and they have ears, and they don't hear, and they have noses, but they don't smell, and they have hands, but they don't feel. They have feet, but they don't walk. They have throats, but they don't make a sound. They're impotent, really completely impotent, to give people like us anything lasting or anything good. And that's bad enough, but there's this other thing about these little lesser things that we make into godlets. In verse 8, the psalmist says, people who trust in them become like them. This is one of the many places in scripture where we're taught something essential about ourselves and that is that we start to resemble all of the things that we worship. As Saint Augustine said it, we imitate what we adore. These things shape us in ways we don't want to be shaped. And they move us away from loving and hallowing God and being able to love others. In church, there is one antidote to that poison. There is only one antidote to that poison, and that is to trust. Oh Israel, trust in the Lord. Oh house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is your help, he is your shield, he has remembered us and he will bless us. <laughs> like I said, whatever the psalmist was thinking of about being remembered and being blessed, as great as those things have been, church, they were just a shadow of what we know. Because we know what Jesus did, cross and resurrection and ascension and forgiveness of our sins and mercy and grace and peace and the assurance that we will be brought safely home. That is the basis of our call to trust, and it's more than enough. It is more than enough. And so alongside worship and adoration, this is another way for people like us to hallow God's name. We hallow his name by ceasing to trust all of the lesser things to give us what only he can give us. We hallow his name when we trust him. This is the very first thing that Jesus teaches us to ask for when he teaches us to pray. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Let me pray for us. Father, give us the grace to adore you. Give us the grace to adore adore you for all of your acts in creation and all of your acts in redemption. Give us the grace to adore you for reconciling everything in the created order to yourself and Jesus, including us. Give us the grace to adore you. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father